What's up, Fast Life family? We're coming to you live from inside the truck. I got Sam Nava, I got Jake Kinney rolling in the back, and we are rolling through the Baja of Mexico on our way to go do a memorial ride. And we're going to catch Sam Nava's story right now, as well as some history of uh, the races in Baja. So buckle up, you're, you're rolling with us, uncut, unedited, real life scenarios happening right now. So without further ado, Sam Nava, tell us all about you, bro. Hey everyone, so like Nick said, my, my name is in Mexico City really, but uh, I never lived there. My parents moved to Baja, to La Paz where I was super young, so when people ask me where I'm from, I'm, I say that I'm from Baja, I'm from La Paz, and yeah, like, I love Baja, that's where my heart is, and so, I'm from La Paz. So right now we're driving from TJ to Ensenada, and uh, as I talk, I'm gonna be telling you about some places, like right now we just passed the Fox Studios Baja, and that's where the Titanic and parts of the Caribbean was filmed, um, the movies. And then to or left, right now, there's a Jesus of Baja, and that's supposed to be the second biggest Jesus in the world after the Rio de Janeiro um, Jesus Christ. So there, there he is, my homeboy, Jesus. <laughs> All right. So um, yeah. Uh, so I was born in 19, 1988. And like I said, I was uh, I grew up in I grew up in La Paz in Baja, and as any kid in Baja, when you're living in Baja, you get to know off-roading. Off-roading is like the the main sport of Baja. There's like in the United States, you know, there's baseball and football. In mainland Mexico, it's soccer. In Baja, it's off-roading. So I got to go to my first Baja 1000 when I was three or four years old, 1992, that was my first Baja, and I still remember, um, that was my first Baja 1000, and I just fell in love with off-roading, and at the age of six years old, I started racing motocross first, and I was born in a Christian family, my parents became Christians two months before I was born, so I had a blessing. And uh, yeah, I just grew up in La Paz. La Paz is a small town. Really, used to be a super small town. Now it's a little bit bigger, but a really small town. So I used to ride so, my. So tell me a little bit, like with uh, you know, Mexico is known for being very heavily Catholic influenced. Correct. So you say that your parents became Christians two months before you were born. Can you, you know, is that kind of time or is that uh, is that rare? Like, tell, tell me more about that. So. I think how I, I don't know all the details of the story, but um, so my dad's dad, he his parents separated. His dad moved to United States, so um, my dad's sister, my aunt, she came she came to United States or she went to United States to study high school, and during the the revival of the what was it called the the hippies revival. Um, she became a Christian. So she was the first Christian in the family. Uh, and then she went back to Mexico and she started talking to my dad about God and stuff like that. But my dad, my dad, uh, he was a racer too. He raced professionally, flat track and super bikes. And uh, so he didn't really wanted to know about God that much when his younger years. But then he met my mom and he, you know, they wanted to, uh, yeah, start a family and do the things right. And they started going to a Christian church and then they became Christians and yeah, two months later um, I was here. <laughs> so so that, okay. that's kind of like the, the perfect time. Basically. Yeah, perfect time. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So that's kind of like the story uh, of why my parents became Christians. It's because my aunt was part of the, the revival that was happening in the United States with the hippies. So, oh, yeah, the, the Jesus movement. The Jesus movement, exactly. Yeah, that, I was trying to remember the name. That was, uh, that was in San Diego, wasn't it? Yeah. She was in Chicago. Okay. And she was in Chicago and in different places. But, uh, yeah, she came to Mexico and she was a hippie and believing in Jesus. So they're like, what's wrong with this lady? You know, like, <laughs> you're a hippie and you believe in Jesus and, like, Christianity? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, 
Are you smoking weed or what? So and she probably was. She was a hippie. <laughs> she was a hippie, but no, she wasn't smoking weed. <laughs> but uh, she was. No, that's. A, I'm just curious about that because you, you, you know, as we come to Mexico, you know, we we just saw the big Jesus statue. Yeah, yeah. You obviously think Catholic a lot of times, so it's cool just to to think uh, Christian from down here. So as we as we roll through this too, you talk about off road racing. Tell a bit about like. Explain what Baja is. Like, what is the race? Like, what is Baja? Race? Man, Baja is racing. That's what Baja is known for. In 1967, was the first Baja 1000, and I mean, it's a big, big part of the economy here in Baja. Not just because the races. I mean, part of, obviously it's because of the races, but part of it is too. When there's no races. Um, there's a lot of off-road tours there. You can do it in motorcycles, UTVs, you can rent a race car, and pretty much is doing the Baja course, you know? So a lot of people come from all parts of the world to do the, to, to know Baja and to do the Baja 1000 just for fun, not, not racing, but just as, uh, as an adventure. So that's, I even, before, uh, before I had a family, when I was recently married, I used to work for USA Honda, Chris Haynes, doing motorcycle tours in Baja. And yeah, we will just take people, and we will take them from Ensenada all the way to Cabo, doing the, the race course of the Baja 1000. So, yeah, I mean, Baja, the racing in Baja is a big, it's part of the economy, it's part of the culture. Here is like their Daytona 500, their Super Bowl. Here is the Baja 1000. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's part of, of Baja, you know, like everyone knows what the Baja 1000 is and the little kids that just want to be Baja racers and uh, it's a so big that part. kind of the same, was that true for you as well? Like from, you said you started racing motocross and stuff, but like you wanted to be a Baja racer. Yeah, right? yeah, I mean my whole life that was my, my dream, at least to do it once, you know, like uh, it's expensive, like really expensive to, to do a Baja 1000. You have to pre-run, you need to have chase trucks and extra motorcycles for parts uh, uh, it's a really expensive it's expensive sport you know and that's just the motorcycle imagine all that it takes for the trucks and the UTVs to do it but uh, what what was your first experience of seeing a race when you were living in La Paz just one second if you look to the right oh, there's yeah. some sand dunes if you've seen the movie on any Sunday with Malcolm Smith and Penhall and Steve McQueen, where they're riding their bikes, it was right here in these zones. So, um, yeah, on any Sunday. And sorry, what was the question? So yeah, what well, you know, growing up in La Paz, being uh, the finish to the, the Baja 1000 when they do the Peninsula runs. What was your first experience of seeing a Baja race? Like what? What in that moment caught your attention? Yeah, I mean, the smell of the. Race gas, you know, seeing the racers, seeing the motorcycles, the race cars, just the, the adrenaline of uh, just being able to conquer. When is the peninsula run all the way down to La Paz? It's 1,300 miles. It's more than 1,000 miles. So, you know, just be able to, to conquer 1,300 miles of Baja is it's just like a, a goal or just something unique. So. so is that a, so that changes then? So it's not always a loop. Like sometimes it's a straight race and sometimes it loops. Correct. So every How does that change? so every three years is a because it's so expensive. The cost, for example, for a trophy truck, that's like the main. That's the premier class. A trophy truck. The cost of a a competitive trophy truck is around eight hundred thousand dollars. Just the truck. Then the fuel that they use is. $20 per gallon, thanks to Biden right now. <laughs> I'm not gonna hide it, okay? And uh, the trucks, one mile, 1.5 miles per gallon. So do your math. Yeah, how that's, that's how much it's gonna cost to, to run. So because it's so expensive, they do the loop race, which is from Ensenada to like half of the peninsula and back to Ensenada. And that's about 800, 900 miles. And then every three, yeah, every three years, it goes all the way down to La Paz, which that's the original Baja 1000, and that's uh, 1,300 miles. That's just down 
down one way or is it down and back? One, no, uh, one, one way, way, one way, correct. Yeah. And this last November was the uh, peninsula run? The peninsula run, yeah, correct. it just happened. Yep. And explain more about, so you, we talked about the Baja 1000, but give them, uh, share with them about the score series, so it's not just one race. Yeah, it's not just one race, the score series has uh, four races, so it's, it starts with the San Felipe 250, which is around 250 miles, most of the time it's 300 miles, then there's the Baja 500, and then there's the Baja 400, and it finished with the Baja 1000. That's, that's a series. So everybody gains points at each exactly. race, and then so there's an overall as well as each race individual. So yeah, so there's a that's it like the championship. But most of the time, like the the bigger one, everyone wants to race the Baja 1000. You have people from you know all over the world, Japan, uh, the Prince of Qatar, uh, like movie stars, uh, Formula One drivers, NASCAR drivers. Dakar rally drivers, they come to race the, the Baja 1000. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, so, so do you typically race all of those races? One year, I was able to race a full series. Uh, I was racing for Medler Racing from Idaho. And so I have raced the Baja 1000 four times. My first time was... Uh, Believe it or not, with a KTM, KTM of Japan. Uh, a little inside story in, here. He's uh, Jake and I have our KTMs on the trailer and back, and uh, Sam was making fun of us the whole time because they're orange and he rides red. And there's, uh, <laughs> for anybody who doesn't understand the motorcycle culture of things, there's always those little inside jokes. But, uh, Kick till know. Monday, can't take Mexico, keep taking your money. <laughs> He's got all of them. Sam's full of uh, <laughs> all, all the for KTM. <laughs> but so your first race ever was on a KTM, and it got the job done. Yes and no. <laughs> Shameless so, plug for KTM. And so we were running really good. We we're running in third, and then he had some injector problems. So we were able to finish the race, but in sixth place. Yeah. Um, but, but you yeah. finished. Oh. But we but finished. finished. We finished. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my first Baja 1000 was with uh, KTM of Japan. As um, uh, what is it called? Uh, sorry, sorry, it went away. As um, backup rider. So my first time didn't get to ride on the bike. It was uh, backup rider, just in case the rider gets injured or something happens. I was there, and then they came back the second year, and I was on the team. And and I was, yeah, I was a writer for the team. So, uh, and then I got to race two more times, the Baja 1000 with Meller Racing, on a, a Peninsula run and a loop race. But uh, since 2013 to this point, I have been always in, been involved with different teams. If I don't race, I go as a uh, pit support for, mostly for a trophy truck teams, I work doing all the setup and shock development for trophy trucks, class ones, trophy truck specs. Uh, so we do, yeah, all the suspension setups for the for the trucks. So most of the time I go with a team if, I, if I'm not racing on a motorcycle. So uh, obviously Baja is uh, without a doubt part of the past life of the entire culture of it. You know, tell us more about, you know, you being a young boy and just what Baja means to you and your family being from Mexico. Uh, <clears throat> I might cry. Yeah, Sorry. that's alright. <laughs> Motion is good. Yeah, just, um... I don't know, like... Uh, I don't know why I love Baja so much. I grew up, you know, like wanting to race Baja, and then, um, then I got to race Baja, be part of the races, and it's just a different world. It's um, you like you will be able to experience it. Like you become family with the people down here, with the people that you race, and yeah, it's it's just a different world. You know, it's something that <clears throat> even in the United States, like you won't be able to experience it. Like that. 
that brotherhood, that communion that you get to know with other writers. And it's not just the writers, but like with the people down here, you know, with the, the farmers, the ranchers, as, as you're riding your motorcycle through towns, you get to know the local kids and um, you just become family, you know, like you stop at their houses and they feed you and for them, you're like a rock star, you know, like you're their Tom Brady or their Michael Jordan, you know, they're like, they see you as this like crazy and I mean, it's not something to like, oh, I want to have that feeling, I want to be that person, but uh, it's a, just a special connection that you get to to develop with those people and just be able to, to come down and bring them stuff and, you know, even give them some money when you leave and just seeing the faces of the the faces of their kids, uh, you know, I mean, it's like their Christmas when they get to see you and you, you get them on the race truck or you get them on the bike and give them a ride. And for a kid in the United States, you know, like, hey, here is a, let me get you a ride on my bike, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. For But for a kid in the middle of Baja, in a farm, you know, like get to ride a motorcycle, like a, a, a racer's motorcycle. It changes their life. Feel like it's something that they will. So for remember. you as a kid, like going back, going back to you as a, a kid in La Paz, like did I say that right? Yeah, yeah. La Paz, like is you know your dad was already a racer, so you were already into motorcycles and that yeah. kind of stuff. So you didn't necessarily experience that as a child, but you got to carry it through your country. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, um, things gone. Uh, Financially, we were, yeah, we were doing really good. My dad, he had the Nissan factory for Mexico, and like, kind of like winner's nitzel of Mexico, and like rental cars and stuff like that. So financially, we were, we have money, you know. Uh, so yeah, group, we grew up with go cars, motorcycles, jet skis. So um, yeah, I mean, I. So you grew up, uh, you know, a little bit more into you real quick with this culture, obviously. You can, just the emotion alone shows how much Baja means yeah. to you. But what I really hear in you is the sort of heart of it and why you love it so much and what it means to you is it's coming from that other side. Like you guys were living the fast life. You guys were racing and jet skis and all those cool things and, and had well to do. But I love your heart and the emotion that you show because of what you're able to do for somebody else. And, and ultimately, as we all strive to live more Christ-like lives, that's what it's all about. So, like, for the listeners, for me to be down here, this is a, you know, this is like a dream come true, and I'm excited for the actual race in November and bring the whole family down and, and do that stuff, and this is kind of that test drive, but I'm excited about the opportunity to come to ministry and to love on these people and, and just to share the light, right? We're in the darkness for so long, and yeah. to share the light with others, and I, I love seeing your heart for that, and that's incredible, because... You know, I guess I thought the story was going to be more of like how it affected you, and now you're here. But the <laughs> fact is, just how much it affects you because of what you've been able to do for others because of it. And obviously, there's a thrill involved. Yeah, yeah We're yeah. all past life riders, and, and uh, I mean that thrill of it. I think yeah, there's two things. You know, like the the people, the local people of Baja, the kids of Baja, like from not from the city, but from like the small towns. And then the other thing is just being in Baja, like you go from the mountains to the oceans, like you go to San Felipe in winter time and you're at the beach, you ride for 40 minutes, an hour to the top of the mountain and you're riding on the snow, you know, and when you're at, down at the dry lake or by the ocean, you're, it's 80 degrees and then you go to the top of the mountain and it, you're riding on snow. So it's just like the diversity that you have in Baja, you know, from the Pacific to the Sea of Cortez and that's what I... I'm like, sorry, I'm a baby. I cry so much. Yeah. But um, the, the times that I feel closest to God is when I'm alone on my bike. Yeah. Riding in Baja. It's like the spirit of God. Like, it just falls. I don't know why. And that's... It was hard for my wife to understand, like, what do you need? What do you need a dear bike? You know, like, like, not in a bad way. It's just like hard to explain, like the sensation. Like every every Baja one, every Baja one thousand. I hear like when I'm on 
on highway section. Sometimes you have to, to get from one dirt road to another dirt road. You have to get on the highway, and uh, and you're like most of the time like next to the ocean, you know, like just seeing, seeing the grace of God and be able to fulfill my dreams. You know, raising Baja is just like like the Holy Spirit, just like force right there. You know, I'm just like in my eyes I'm like God like I'm such a baby but uh, you know this was my dream and being, being able to not do it once not two times but like three times and just being involved with teams and just you know like meeting and like like I said I'm not trying to to show off you know but like just be able to meet like some of the richest people in the world like the Prince of Qatar like uh, I mean I can go on and on like the, the president of Guatemala, like just people that you will never think you will meet, but because of Baja, like they brought us together, you know, and even have relationship with some of those people. It's just because of, of Baja, you know, like it, it's it's insane for me, like to just to think something special that brings together more importantly like what you said there is is how it brings you closer to god right? yeah, yeah. Like we all have our sanctuaries all those things and we're always talking about relationship not religion right and, and the rules of it you know who's to say you can't be close to god while you're right 80 miles an hour on a motorcycle yeah yeah like, there's probably no better time to be really really close to him yeah than when you're on the edge right yeah and yeah, to be honest, like the faster I go, like the more comfortable I feel. Like the faster you go, the safer you are. Like I, I hate enduro. Like hiking your bike, like having to get up your bike to go into a like hike it to to a trail. I'm like that's. I mean, I respect it, you know. Don't get me wrong. I will ride it with my friends, but I'm like, this is no fun, you know. Like, why do you want to hike your bike when you can go like yeah, 90, 100 miles an hour, like on the <laughs> Sometimes on the, when you're on the beach or on the dry lake, you hit like 109, 100, like 110 miles per hour, and I feel safe. <laughs> and just like feels like you're not jet. So first, Sam starts digging on the KTMs, and now he's digging on the hard enduro guys. Lucky <laughs> he's driving right now. <laughs> not offense, I respect it. But I feel safer jumping 90 feet than going 90 miles an hour. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I'll, I'll, coming in as uh, Sam's best friend, and so some of you that don't know this, also I am Sam's brother-in-law. I have been blessed uh, with being married to his, his younger sister, and the emotions that you hear in him, um, I can say that if, if, Ab, if Abby was in the car, the same emotions come from her. You know, it's, it's something special about the culture, and they've been able to share that culture with me, but this culture... You know, you've heard him talk about Baja and racing and, and what we get to do, but this, uh, the culture of Sam, you know, being down here and getting to ride on motorcycle, passing small towns, and there's kids that are watching. I think that uh, a special moment is those kids are watching Sam come by and he's sharing that moment with them. But it wasn't all easy, and it's never easy, but getting to that point, Sam, you, if you can, just explain um, a little bit also about like everything you guys have gone through in your family. To, to still be able to even take part in this sport because it wasn't yeah. you've been given a natural talent to do it you guys have been given a passion for, for Baja racing and, and being part of Baja and sharing the culture with us but there is there is something about Baja that you do have to work a lot harder in life you may say that, yeah you guys had a little extra money to do these things but it did not secure any of the crazy things that happened in life you know yeah it's it's funny because one time one person, one pastor was asking, you know, like, oh, your, what's your um, testimony? And, you know, like I said, I was, I grew up in a Christian home and um, never did drugs, never smoked, never drank, nothing like that. I was always into motorcycles and bicycles and maybe the worst thing, I don't know. Yeah, like, not that I was a good boy, I'm a sinner. I sin all the time, you know, like I, I'm saved by the grace of God, but I, I never got into into those things. Uh, to be honest, probably even my religion sometimes came like motorcycling. Um, 
your identity was my more identity yeah, yeah exactly yeah you know and non obviously not anymore like now I just it's all glory and praises to God and use it to glorify him but yeah, um, I think we all struggle through that we're all maybe putting more attention into things we do on a daily basis or at the very least had that moment in our life where that was the most important thing and as we grow older we grow closer so for, for listeners like that's a, a valid point to take home right is that you are a tendency to idolize other things and uh, you know there is only one true God and he wants to be first and top and deserves to be you know yeah. the object of our affection but as humans as sinners which we all are you know, we have a tendency to do that. So your idolization was, uh, you know, you were a motorcycle racer. Yeah. You know, it was the motorcycle, but now you're going out of that and, and living more Christ-like. So yeah, exactly. And, you know, I feel like every time I start to, like, drift, God shows me, like, hey, come back to to your roots, you know? Like, you're here because of me. And I, I wanted to just clarify that I'm not a pro racer. Like, my highest level, I will say, is... Um, Semi pro, I race like in pro classes in Baja and stuff, but uh, it's not like, yeah, you know, I wasn't getting paid to do it or racing for a factory team or anything like that. Yeah. So it was more of, a, of as a hobby, a passion, uh, a passion exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, like Jake was saying, you know, the, my testimony, I see a couple things about my life growing up. Um, I started to think about it and one time when I was younger with me with my dad and my brother we got a whole hostage in this house and for a couple hours you know and it's crazy because I didn't think about it as a bad experience because the guys were showing me their guns and they were like super nice to me that How old were you at this point I think I was like four or five years old we were in Mexico City and my dad was doing some businesses uh, with some pers- uh, with some guy at his house, like buying some stuff, like I think motorcycles or cars. My dad has always been in the car business and motorcycle business and stuff like that. So he was doing some businesses, and these people came and they weren't coming exactly for us. They were coming for the guy in uh, in the house, but uh, they hold, yeah they hold everyone hostage and it wasn't a dramatic experience. <laughs> Thanks God, but I think that's why because God is in was God is in my life. God was in my life, you know, and and it didn't affect me. I, to be honest, I forgot about it, and I I remember it as a funny story. My brother, he, like the guys were there, and my brother like they put stuff like handcuffs in our hands, and my brother, my brother was crazy. He's like, Dad, like I took the handcuffs off, and my brother's like, What are you doing? Like stay still, you know. He's like, So I just remember it as a funny story, but. Uh, but I think it's because God was there, you know, like, uh, then growing older, uh, businesses are starting to go bad in Mexico, my dad was tired of Mexico, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I love Mexico, I love my country, uh, but it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard if you want to do the things the right way, so there was some, like, with the car rental stuff, uh, narc, like, drug dealing money, wanting to people wanting to like to push my dad to do like shady things so he preferred to stop the business so he wouldn't get involved with that stuff and then uh, the same with the food business um, it was more because he was a franchise like winner's nitzel um, people didn't want to pay the money for the so he was didn't want to pay the money of the franchise uh, to use a name so he spent more money on lawyers and it was just everything. Everything started to go like downhill. So we moved to the United States. Like I said, my grandpa wasn't a my grandpa was an American. So we had the opportunity to move to the States. Uh, I mean, it's a long story short. We came to the United States legally. There's a process. The system made me illegal, and because of a corrupt border patrol, I got deported. <laughs> Um, and don't get me wrong, I love United States. I will die for the United States. I'm blessed to, to live there and to have my family there. Uh, I love that country. You know, it has given me the opportunity to raise Baja, the financial support and the teams to raise Baja. I work in an industry that I love. You know, uh, I marry an American woman. I call her my green card. 
um, and my kids are Americans. So, I mean, red, white, and blue all the way. Um, but you know, it's, it's a sad story. You know that the, the immigration people, when you talk about immigration, they think it's really easy to come to the United States. Yes, if you go illegally, <laughs> it's super easy. If you try to do it the right way, sadly, it's really hard. But uh, so, yeah, uh, long short story. Long, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, Sorry for my accent, by the way. Story short. <laughs> Thank you. Don't apologize for anything, brother. I know something's it's a little bit hard to understand. Even my my wife has a hard time. It's funny when your son, your six year old, has to correct you. So that's that's pretty funny. But um, so you tried to do it the right thing, the, the yeah, right way, the right way. Ended up getting deported. Deported exactly. Uh, then I had. I was dating my wife already. We got married. Um, I won the case against immigration because I had all the rights to stay in the United States. I was able to get all my citizenship and even my parents' citizenship and everything. But it took me. It took for me to get deported for you know to fight everything and take it to like high level courts and win the case and you know come legal in the United States. But uh, yeah, thanks God, He has given me the opportunity now to, to to do something that I love in the opera community and raise Baja. And I forgot what the question was. But, but here's a cool one. Oh, and in that moment when when Sam yeah, yeah. got deported, you know, it wasn't just like deported and he had a, a court case and then he gets to come back. Yeah, I mean, took... he, he had nowhere to go. Uh, I actually met him at a McDonald's with some clothing and his girlfriend at the time. Um, you know, and. Uh, yeah, they, you know, he had nowhere to go, yeah, so, nowhere to do, and yeah, here you go. So you think about it, they, you know, you had been living in the United States for how long at that point? For that point, I think it was like 10 years, and it's supposed to take three years to get your paperwork. So one of the things I'm going to interject with real quick, I've, I've heard part of this story from, from Sam already, and it's so easy as Americans, you know, me being from Colorado, and you know, you watch the news, and they tell you about this wall, and they tell you about all this other stuff, and you want to think, oh, this person's a bad person or that's a bad person, but you talk to the people who've actually experienced it and live it, and uh, there's a whole different reason for it. So I guess what I'm saying here without going into deep detail is don't believe everything you see on the news. Uh, Sam's actually in support of the wall that Trump built uh, or started to build, and what's going on now is, is backwards, but our system in the United States is broken, and that's why Sam got you know, deported and had to go back, but it's not like he already had a home in Mexico. He had been living in the United States for 10 plus years. So they sent him back to a country that he had nothing, that he knew nothing. So they basically made him be a homeless person and then he went to court and fought all this stuff. So yeah, I was, uh, I was in Mexico for, I got married. through people through our church, I was able to stay in TJ in someone's house for a while, and then we still have family down in La Paz. So uh, me and my wife we moved down to La Paz for two and a half years, and the cool thing, you know, God opened so many doors. We were able to work part time. She was her major is Spanish, so for her to get her, to get her master's, I mean her degree, she needed to live outside of the United States for a period of time. So everything just like lined up. So we moved to La Paz, worked part-time, she was able to go to school and get her degree, and then we were able to move back to the United States, you know, we... So she came down, you guys lived in La Paz, Yeah. she finished up her schooling, and this whole time you're having this court battle where you're, where Correct. you're fighting to get back to the United States, but, right. but God worked in that moment to be able to do all of this stuff and just opened up all the doors that needed to be opened to be able to do it. Where were you at a younger age? You know, where were you? Where was God in your life? You always said He was there, even when you were held hostage. He was there. But I mean, did you guys attend church? Was it regular prayer? Like, how did you walk out your faith amidst that past life, even long before the immigration or before you were say immigration? Because we're pulling up to a toll road, a toll road checkpoint here. I've never been through so many checkpoints in my life. But this is the last one. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, that's good for you. So what's going on here is there's certain yeah, certain toll roads 
um, that's different areas as you go down through through Baja. So this, uh, we are entering now, we're going to be entering the town of Ensenada. Um, and this is actually the town where the Baja starts. So whether it's the circle loop or it's the peninsula run, the Baja 1000 starts here in this town of, of Ensenada. So we just paid uh, 60 pesos and uh, we're on our way. So tell us, so where was... God, yeah. Um, yeah, where was God in your life at a young age? I mean, obviously, he opened up those doors for you and your wife when you needed him to, you know, when you lived in La Paz, you know, but at an earlier age, like, where was your faith in that? You know, did, did you ever get far from him? Was he always part of your life? I mean, obviously, it didn't turn to drugs, it didn't turn to alcohol, you know, it turned to your motorcycle, but yeah, where was that? Um... So, I mean, thanks to God and, and thanks to the parents that he gave me. My parents uh, always went to church. They were involved in different ministries. So it wasn't just like the, you know, the Sunday thing. It was a, a daily thing. We would read the Bible together as a family. No, not every day, but probably like three times a week. We will pray together, um, go to church. So it was a real relationship with God, you know, doing, we will do missions trips together to different uh, parts of Baja. That's previous, I, previous we moved to the United States, we will do mission trips in different places in Baja to, to different islands in Baja. And so, yeah, I grew up in, in ministry with parents that love prayer. Uh, prayer. Um, so I will say... Until I was pro until I was 18 is when I always consider myself a Christian, go to church, read my Bible. But when I really took my relationship with God, like my personal relationship my, with God, not like our family, until I was 18 is when it became like a serious relationship with God. I um I, I started going to this church. I still go to the same church, Blue Hills Christian Church, and they have this youth youth event every year it's called uh, Future Quest and the day that I went there was this preacher named Bill Wilson he has a big urban ministry in New York and all around the world and he was giving his testimony and as he was preaching I was thinking like I have heard this guy before and the funny thing is I heard that guy and I heard his testimony when I was four years old in Mexico City um, in, yeah, in a church in Mexico City. So, yeah, I just got like got hold of me like completely. And since then, I mean, there obviously there's been ups and downs. But uh, so how? So you heard him in Mexico City. Then how old were you when you heard him? In again, again, eighteen. So at eighteen is when that kind of sunk in. You yeah, this guy's story twice. And yeah. Now God's got a hold of you. Oh, yeah, exactly. It was crazy. I was like, darn it. Like, I heard this before. And then he, like, completely came to my mind. Like, oh, I know who this guy is. And um, so we're going to stop right here to get some tacos. One of my favorite places to get tacos. Talking at the taco, taco shop. Now um, I'm going to try to read that for you. <laughs> La Vianda. All right. Going on pause for some tacos. We're rolling again. So, 18 years old, you hear this guy at Future Quest. You had heard him once before. Tell me more about it. Yeah, so like I said before, his name is Bill Wilson, and he's uh, he has a youth ministry in New York and in a lot of places in the world, the biggest Sunday school. And yeah, he's... His testimony is like really crazy. He was left on the street by his mom, and then this guy picked him up, and uh, he was an orphan. So, um, and then he got shot in the head, shot on his face. Uh, later in life, when he was doing ministry, so I just remember like all the little details of his uh, testimony, and I was like, oh, that's Bill Wilson. So then just you know keep going with the the sermon and. That's when I like really committed to to follow God on my own, not, not as a family. And from now, from there, I started doing youth ministry. Uh, my church has these things called youth venture, and they're youth centers for kids to go after school, where they can hang out, play video games, play pool tables, ping pong. 
and in one of them we have um, skateboarding. So I started doing youth ventures once a week, and then I became an intern for youth venture and continued to work with the youth and ride my BMX bike. And that's where I met my wife too. She was she was my boss. <laughs> uh, she was my boss. So um, and yeah, I mean from there just you know getting closer to the Lord and doing more ministry and I was 18 yeah 18 19 20 and then at 21 at 21 is when I got deported back to to Mexico when all that stuff with immigration happened so at 21 um, me and my wife we get my wife like I said she's a, she's a white girl <laughs> she moves to Baja with me and we get married in Rosarito and we start like all the process so I had two things going on the marriage process and suing the immigration and we won I mean I won her and I won the immigration so I won both <laughs> did you do it with the help of God though? yeah definitely uh, I mean every, God was through it, the whole thing you know I mean uh, people from church helping me my pastors um, even Christian people from the government side, uh, Republicans, believe it or not, because I was trying to do the things the right way, and they saw my case and they were helping me, uh, sending letters to the government and things like that. So senators and stuff. So um, yeah, God was through the whole thing. But the cool thing is that when I got to La Paz, I was riding BMX. I have always ridden motorcycles and bikes. When I when I get to La Paz, the biggest sport for the youth down there is BMX. So I was like, whoa, okay, we have something to do here. So in the two and a half years that I was there, I was able to do a youth ministry with the BMXers from La Paz. And to the point that I was able to bring with the churches and the local government helped me to pay to bring uh, professional BMXers down to La Paz to do demos. And one of the guys was uh, my brother-in-law, Jay Kenny. Uh, Ricardo Laguna and Dalton, a guy from Vegas. So they were able to come down there and we did like a tour down in Baja South, Cabo, La Paz, uh, talking to the kids. And most important, we didn't want it to do a show. We wanted to like hang out with the kids, you know, like have that connection. Like, you know, because they see them in the magazines, they see them in their videos, like these big guys. But, you know, having that connection, just going to a taco stand, you know, like riding the local skate parks down there. So um, we built a deer park place down there at the at the local university in La Paz. So yeah, God opened doors and God used me, you know, to to expand His kingdom and uh, and preach the gospel to not just BMXers, but like skater guys and people, kids in extreme sports. So you know, if, there's a reason for everything. You know, and, yeah, maybe at the time. When I was deported, I was like, God, what's going to happen? This is the end of my life. You know, I'm going to be stuck in Mexico. And to be honest, I can tell you that besides having my kids, having that time with my wife down there has been like the most amazing time of my life. You know, be able to to do ministry, um, be able to get back into off-roading because you have to remember, when I was in the United States, I couldn't come to Baja. So I was just watching videos, but I couldn't really come and ride Baja. So... I was able to connect to friends down there and now even to people that they're my uh, clients from what I do, the business that I do now with the suspension stuff. So um, just build connections. So it was it was a great time that God used me to expand the kingdom, preach the gospel, build connections and have a two year and a half honeymoon with my wife. So yeah. it was uh, an amazing time. So when all that happened with uh, being deported and all of that confusion, was there ever a time that you were mad at God? That you asked God, how could this happen? Why is this happening? So I feel like that comes up all the time of people and people are looking to build a wall with God. Did you remain faithful through that whole thing or was there a I, moment? No, I remained faithful. There was a time that I was no mad at God, but I was... So... I had a half-brother from my dad's side, and he got shot in Mexico City. He got killed. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into details, but uh, just completely different style, lifestyles, and 
How old were you when that happened? I was 22, 22, 23. So at that point, were you you were actually deported at that point? You were in Mexico? I was in Mexico, but this is the thing. He was living with his mom in Mexico City, and my dad was in the United States, and my parents couldn't leave the United States because of the immigration situation. Right. So my dad couldn't go to his son's funeral, you know? So that's when I was like, God, like, I got deported, uh, my brother gets killed, I cannot see my parents for two and a half, I mean, yeah, for the period that I was in, in Mexico. So I was like, God, like, can you just, you know, like, give me a break? Even though I was having a great time in Baja, it was more like towards my uh, a pain, towards my parents, but like, in a, you know, feeling for them, you know, that I was gone, my dad couldn't go to, couldn't go to his son's uh, funeral, uh, I didn't know exactly when I was going to be able to go to the United States to see them. So I know they were having a really, to be honest, they were. I think they were having a harder time than me. So it was more like, I like, kind of like have compassion for my parents, you know. Uh, that was, that's the only time that I can recall not being mad, but just like desperate asking for God, like, like, come on, like have some mercy on them, like give them a break type of thing. Right. But never fell away from him through all of that. Oh no! Trial, I, like you actually saw his blessing. I think that's oh crazy. yeah! I mean, I think it was the opposite. I, I was like, you know, I'm nothing without you. Like you're the only thing that I have. So rely even more on God. Like oh, yeah. I was, you know, like this pain is gonna get worse if I walk away from you. So what was my choice? You know, spend more time with God and pray more and um, yeah, just like to completely, completely, completely trust in him. Because I, even though I was getting all the immigration situated and it was looking really good, I didn't, they didn't have an exact date for me to come back to the United States. So I didn't know for how long I was gonna be uh, stuck in, in, in Baja. So once that case was over, how long were you in Baja? Uh, we were, me and my wife, we were in Baja for two and a half years exactly. Well, like, once the case ended, was it a long period of time after? Or it, it oh, when the case time? ended and everything went, uh, I was able to go back to the United States right away. Okay. Yep, yep. Cool. Yeah, so... And it, it's not that I was I was stuck in Baja, but it's not like I was having a bad time. You know, I don't, don't get me wrong. It's not like, uh, I don't want to be here. I love Baja, to be honest. Like, I will... You give me the choice, probably I will live in Baja. Uh, but just not being able to come to the States to see my family and, um, you know, my parents not be, being able to come to Baja at that time to Mexico and uh, even for my wife, you know, she was able to come like one, two times a year to see her family and her family came down to see us and stay with us. Um, but it, it just makes it harder, you know, when it's not like, oh, get on the plane and go to San Diego. Right. So what else, uh, is there any other times in your life or, you know, trial points in time where you found yourself far from God? Mm. Or where you're questioning why this is happening? Or were you always that faithful? I'm really black and white. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's God or not, you know? Like, am I going to follow God or not? So kind of be in between, you know, and I'm, I'm like that with everything, with work, it's like, you're falling or falling, you know, like, if I'm going to raise, I'm going to go all the way in, or it's not like in between, so, um, to be honest, none are really, I mean, obviously I struggle a little bit sometimes, uh, but I never got to that point that I'm like, you know, I don't want to follow you, God, or I'm feel, I feel a way, and I think the other thing was, Youth Venture helped me a lot because most of the kids from Youth Venture, uh, at least at that time, it has changed a little bit, but a lot of them, their parents were addicted to drugs, moms were prostitutes, alcoholics. So you've seen what all that stuff does to your life. You know, like when you're not following God, like I, I was working with kids that their parents took those choices and I'm like, I don't want that for my life. You know, so being able to learn from others so I don't commit the same mistakes helped me a lot to, right. to 
keep consistency and to keep, you know, being faithful to God even in the hard times, even when it was hard. And yeah, sometimes I feel uh, just lonely maybe in a sense. But I, I was like, you know, I don't have anything else. Like, even if I feel lonely, I'm going to still trust, trust in you. That's awesome. So we've heard about a little bit about Baja. We might do another episode with some of that... Uh, Baja goodness as we get down here where we're going to ride for most of your story. Is there anything that you want the listeners to really take home? What's the one thing you want them to listen to? Yeah, that even in the hardest times, even when everything seems dark, God has a way. Uh, you know, at that time, I was boarding and I didn't know what's going to happen and through that, I was able to be legal in the states, have my family become legal in the states, uh, pursue my dreams, um, start a family, and raise Baja. <laughs> right. So even though sometimes uh, we don't know why things are happening, but God has a plan through all of that. Amen. And maybe it doesn't happen as fast as it did for you. Exactly. But trust the plan. You trust the plan. Yeah. Yeah, trust the plan, that's for sure. You've seen the promise, now trust the process, right? Trust the process. Awesome, man. Well, we are excited to just keep doing this drive here. We're going to close out with Sam Nava's story. For all the listeners, stay tuned for more Baja episodes coming up. As always, check out our social media pages to see what's happening. Uh, website to give if you'd like to support this ministry, support a podcast episode. We ask for a for a monetary donation to help keep us moving. God bless everybody. Thank you for listening to Faith in the Fast Life, brought to you by Fast Life Ministries. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to rate, like, and follow our podcast page so you can be the first to see new episodes every Wednesday. If there's someone who came to mind during the podcast, please send this to them. People like you sharing the show really helps us to get God's message out to a wider audience. Visit FastLifeMinistries.com to give to our podcast and keep us running. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.